To quote Kirby Enthusiasm, you have to respect the wood. Hello and welcome to bonus episode number two. These are the hashtag MTOS episodes, which is where we talk through some questions that I've used for the movie talk on Sunday chats, which are on Twitter at 8pm every Sunday, 8pm UK time. I always have to say the UK time because you occasionally get some people who will um, tweet going, I missed it. So I'll answer the questions anyway, I don't mind. This episode we'll be looking at... The works of Marvel films, encompassing the Fox ones, which are now Disney ones, but let's just look back on what Fox did. We'll look at the Sony ones without the whole fjord of like what's going on with Sony and Marvel, we don't know. And then we'll move on to the MCU. Around the table again, I have... James. Scott. Jason. And, <laughs> and I'm... I don't know why we always laugh at Jason. <laughs> Although, looking at him, yeah, I can see why we all laugh at him. <laughs> oh. uh, <laughs> And I feel I'm like I'm in the Joker trailer. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> and I'm Andy. So let's kick off with Fox. As holders to the rights of the X-Men and Fantastic Four, whilst they were running them all, have they served any of the material well? Or has the absorbing into the Disney family been a well-needed action? James? They've not really done a great job since Days of Future Past, really. They've been poor. They, they need to hand over the licence back to Marvel, but it's given it to Disney, which... I don't like them at the minute. Yeah, there's a there's a lot to dislike about Disney's. Just just uh, just to make a quick dis dis like not dis I don't know if we call it a disclaimer or a thing, but like we do you know we do roundtable discussion. People all have different opinions and stuff. But I know that a lot like Marvel is one of the things that's most polarizing at the moment. People are throwing shade and stuff at each other. So we just want to say this is all like this is fun. This is our opinions. Please let's be nice. Yeah. To, to people who listen and to each other. Because I know, I know we can all be a bit. Let's not get venomous. Yeah. Oh, uh... I, I promise. Not. <laughs> that, that'll be the questions on Sony. I promise <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Sony should get the rights. That's the one. <laughs> so Scott, is that like, have they done anything well? Have they misstepped? Well, yeah. Well, you have to say they've done it well. In like, X Men film in two thousand is credited for starting this like sort of new post two thousand wave of superhero films that's just grown and grown and grown. And there's some good films there. X Men Two's still pretty solid. Days of Future Past I thought was a decent quasi reboot. Logan's a great spin off, and Deadpool. But they con- they've, they've had issues with continuity. They've been scared. They've been scared to fully commit to these characters. Like I know this might be controversial because like he, Hugh Jackman and everyone loves him, but like that's not Wolverine for me. No, Wolverine for me is five foot three. Yeah, he's a Canadian. He's like surly. He's short. He's in a yellow costume. Yes, yellow. Yes, I <laughs> I expected yellow spandex. I don't I don't like that. That's a joke. <laughs> um. So I, I I think a reboot and a just a fresh new that's in the past well done that we've got loads of films over there that will never be touched let's start again is what I've wanted for years. <laughs> I've always um, quite enjoyed them in their own way because they're not offensive and every take on any superhero adaptation from comic to film tends to add its own thing to certain characters to make them more uh, relatable or appealing. So for the X-Men franchise, where they had their issue was obviously starting so early, is they had they kind of went, well, if we go all in with the suits and the colours, you know, people aren't going to connect so much. So we'll yeah. make it a bit cooler, like we're post-Matrix world. Yeah. All of that trend of action. So we've got the black and the sleek. And mm. and um, the films themselves have been, I'll say, enjoyable at points, but continuity issues have been huge oh and it's not and even small is it no, no. It's, it's it's not something you can go oh i'm being a nerd and you, you know there's a bit like, of a, there's a bit of an issue when in order to deal with continuity errors they have to create a new continuity in which to correct the errors in universe and it still and, doesn't quite fit yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well the most recent dark phoenix so uh, she suddenly gets her phoenix powers that she also showed in the previous film which was set years before anyway yeah so they, they've now created their own new continuity errors just as they've finished interestingly this question was initially written before dark phoenix came out and i think the results of dark phoenix kind of make me glad in a way that they're going to be moving to the mcu but as has been hinted at, is like, let's not forget the importance that the X Men franchise had in Absolutely. 
giving some life to the superhero genre on screen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, without those early X-Men films, we wouldn't have had an Iron Man film. No. Uh, because there wouldn't have been that, like, you know, that want and desire to go, well, let's manage to get something in there. And Marvel at the time had so little of their own rights that they drew on characters that were a bit under the radar yeah. and have made a great franchise. And, yeah, it's ballooned and it's escalated, and we'll get more to that later. But, yeah, I think Fox started off really well with them. Mm. They gave a lot of, like, full creative license to Singer on how he was managing to set the whole tone for it. And the first two films are absolutely brilliant. But then Brett Ratner came along, made that third mess, and that's where it kind of hit the first stumbling block. But we then got the reboot of First Class. First Class. Which I, I've got enjoyable. a lot of love for. Yeah, I, yeah. I can go back and rewatch that film over and over again. I think it's... It really hits all the beats really it well. It was one of those ones where when I heard about it initially, I was like, oh, I'm not sure because, you know, how are you going to replace um, or do Stuart and uh, McKellen again? And then they chose two of my favourite actors anyway. And I was yeah. like, well, no, I'm in. It's And well, well, yeah, it's... you just can't go wrong with bacon as well. <laughs> you can never go wrong with bacon. Whilst that was good, and then Days of Future Past, as has already been mentioned, was like a really solid, like, okay, now the timeline's going to get changed. Mm-hmm. So now we can justify how it's going to go off in different directions to where it should have been. I think after that is where it started to they just dropped the wander. Again, didn't they? Logan aside, because Logan is just a film of its own, it's absolutely stunning. Cinematography-wise, story-wise, I think it's a great final piece for that character. But, you know, you look at... <laughs> me, me and Chana both exhaled expectedly, but I'm really curious what you were going to say there. Um, it is one of those, when I first watched it, it's like, yeah, Logan was good, but then I started thinking about it more, and I was like, what did I actually just watch? It, it, no. It, what, do you, what do you mean? Well, it's been that long now, I can't actually remember a most Okay, well... I remember how I felt after coming out of the film. Yeah, what I distinctly remember is we all watched it and we're all sat there and we're like, oh, it's quite good, we're outside and we're talking about it and then we were slowly going, hang on a minute, what? what? Were we, did we enjoy ourselves? <laughs> me and you. Yeah. Me and you, though, are terrible for that. Yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> if we, we come out of a film and then we will, we will talk ourselves from loving something to ripping it to shreds yeah. in about five minutes. <laughs> I mean, Apocalypse was terrible. It, I, I mean, I, I watched that film and came out of it. My first words were, that was Mortal Kombat Annihilation with a different cast. Because it, sounds it's awesome. What, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's what I was waiting for all these years, finally. Uh, a true successor. <laughs> and, and let's be honest, we're never going to see New Mutants. Yeah, um, yeah, it'll go to normal. streaming at some point. Yeah. It's unlikely to get a cinematic release. And that has been a tortured production from start to finish. Even in, in, the, later, in the later end where these massive missteps and they weren't making tons of money, Deadpool and Logan... That spirit to be read in this the new like R rated movement of comic book films and a slight evolution still, but they're still being relevant to the very end. You yeah, could argue, yeah, yeah. Um, which is an achievement. But yeah, the times is perfect. I think. See, Fantastic Four. Notice how it's not come up once. Well, question, question two. <laughs> question two moves a bit more into Fantastic Four. Oh, it's just but gonna, we'll let you uh, because part of the question was about are you you know the Disney element of it. I want a new creative team to tackle. I want a reboot, but I, I don't like Disney holding as many licenses as it does now. And I feel like if they, I'm worried if they have as many Marvel titles as they do, but although there's a lot of love and passion there, at times they've been complacent, um, which we'll discuss later on, I assume, when we're talking about the MCU. Main, MCU mainstay. But it does make me more nervous than if Fox were just like, still about, still doing what we're doing with their licenses and went, oh, we're just going for, a, you know, we're doing it again. We're doing our, you know, a first class again, but. It's like you, feel, you, you feel that there won't be as many risks. Yeah. yeah. It, well, it feels like we're playing a Monopoly game where someone's clearly winning, but you feel that you have to play it out anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, it's, I mean, it's all Disney. <laughs> so drawing onto the Fantastic Four licence, have they simply mishandled it? And if so, you know, is it just that the property itself isn't that good on a comic form and so it was never going to adapt well? The, the property things and... A massive issue because obviously Marvel as a publisher did its did massive disservice to bring the the price of the Fantastic Four license down so they could reacquire it, and um, also because as a result a lot of the material has been aged and older and stuff, and they weren't really touching on the Ultimates line. It's a bit unfair to say like is, um, is the property not good? It's just the property at times has been slightly more irrelevant to like modern day storytelling and the way comics have because. One of the things that comics has always been amazing at is catching the zeitgeist of the times. 
whenever you pick up a comic from a certain time period, you tend to feel that time period mm-hmm. in like its values, its stylistic like approaches, and even what colors and stuff are used. A lot of that's based on printing press. You sort of feel it. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And exactly. when something is like already you know struggled at times and then was deliberately misused. It's, it's a bit tricky. And then when you're starting a comic book license film, you're not going to hit the Ultimates approach because you need your f- four characters to be likable. You can't have someone like Reed Richards actually be not likable because you, you need that initially. So you can't call upon your most relevant and interesting versions of a character. And it was mishandled at first with the original Fantastic Four and Rise of the Silver Surfer. But then it, later it, on, it's a bit harder to contextualise because you don't have as much source material to... It's, in, I mean. it's interesting mentioning um, the Ultimates version because the Ultimate Fantastic Four comic, those characters clearly influenced the uh, fan four stick film. I, I didn't see that. Because the first like 25 minutes is pretty much like the first issue of the Ultimate Fantastic Four run. Controversial opinion. I actually think that, like the first half of that film is pretty good. Oh, yeah. It's a, setting it, up. This, like, quasi-realistic Fantastic Four. You can genuinely see the point at which the, the studio lost faith in the, the director, booted him off, and started reshooting things behind his back and re-editing yeah. it behind his back. Because that first half of the half of it is clearly his film. Yeah. And then it's the last half of the film that it just falls apart. James, any thoughts on Fantastic Four? I've not really got much of them, because uh, they've not really been one of my strong suits for, you know, liked titles <laughs> and the films have been very poor i've not even watched the last one that came out see i'm pretty part of me is a little bit sad because although like i said earlier i'm not a big fan of disney getting all of these fox licenses one of the things i used to love reading spider-man growing up was the um rivalry between the human torch and spider-man yeah and so when they did that i was like oh good um, maybe they can bring that in that'd be really interesting and fun because you'd get the the um, youthful side of both of them, they're sort of like trying to find them, you know, who they are and, you know, the, the sibling, not like a sibling rivalry because, you know, you, you don't have many, like, I certainly don't have any superpowered like, uh, <laughs> uh, people I can relate to and stuff. And then when for Sony thing, I was like, oh, well, <laughs> oh, well <that's laughs> it's a nice gone. little thought, but... I mean, I personally, I mean, I've always loved the Fantastic Four comics. It was the first Marvel comic that I was ever bought for me as a kid and it's what got me into the superhero comics Overall, I I thought that the Tim Story films, uh, Fantastic Four and Rise of the Silver Surfer, it did more things right than it did wrong. It got the characters, it got the family aspects, the interaction. I just don't feel it went cosmic enough because the Fantastic Four for me should always be like cosmic and far out kind of stories, whereas they were very like contained to Earth and like very personal ones. I I want it to be more cosmic. Um, I think it was far too much for Fox to take a risk with, to go with that, as you can see with the fan four stick that they kind of bottled it um, halfway through the film. I, I agree, because they're very much Marvel's first family, and they're like they're, they're almost the most comic book of all the Marvel properties in my mind. Like, they're the ones that are like just out and proud, superhero, wacky fair. That you, you shouldn't be apologetic. You should have Negative Zones and Doctor Dooms yeah. and Galactus. and would... These are larger-than-life comic book concepts, and we're at a point where we're, we're quite happy to introduce some of them now. In the mid noughties, I can see why they were trepidants. But like you say, like in that post Spider Man pre Batman Begins sort of period, that's what all the comic book films were yeah. hitting. That was the template, wasn't it? Yeah. So they actually did it pretty much how I imagined them. They like the, hit the family dynamics, the sort of fame aspect, and the fact they're at these out and proud superheroes. It hit all the beats. It's just. Just felt mad, didn't it? Because we needed a new direction genre wise, and then now I just think everyone's scared to use them in a weird way. Because, and it doesn't help that The Incredibles is essentially the Fantastic Four. Yes, it yeah. is. It um, is, and that's so one it's of the been reasons, done. That's one of the reasons that I wasn't too happy with The Incredibles because it didn't do anything new for me that I hadn't already encountered elsewhere. And look, like when I mentioned this on a podcast years ago, I got lambasters like, but it did loads of things new. When you've, whenever you had, ever had a family on screen as superheroes, like Fantastic Four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but when have you ever had like that? Fantastic Four. <laughs> yeah, but on screen though, I, I, like, you know, it might might have done this, but like when have you ever seen this story play out? Fantastic Four comics. <laughs> and, uh, everything was just like, it was too similar to Fantastic Four. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons that I hated it, because I wanted Fantastic Four to be that. And so I've got this venomous attack against like um, the, the Incredibles, simply because it's doing what the Fantastic Four film should have been doing, and they've ripped them off. Yeah. But now it's a 
Disney license. Oh, and now, now, <laughs> now, now, now they can meet. Now, now chaos will reign. Uh, the next question was to rank the X Men films in order. I think we basically covered that on the first question as yeah, to I mean, which ones people think are the best ones, which people think are the worst. Last Stand, Age of Apocalypse. <laughs> where, where would the X Men Origins Wolverine be? Oh, oh, that's definitely number that, one. That's too good. I actually take it outside of that. That, that gets a bonus. <laughs> on, on my listing, you've got Logan, X2, First Class, Deadpool, X1, Days of Future Past, then a very big long gap, then everything else except, and then a very big long gap, Origins Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> well, Just a a shout-out there. It out. <laughs> it's the only one I don't think we've touched on in terms of referencing it. The second Wolverine film, The Wolverine. Yeah. Again, first half, surprisingly good film. <laughs> yeah. And then you go, why have the X-Men Origins Wolverine the ending? <laughs> yeah, I, I did enjoy that film, though, yeah. Yeah. So to Sony, over to Sony, the holders of the Spider-Man rights and the only holders of the Spider-Man rights as the point of the recording of this, although that rumblings is still going backwards and forwards as to what's going on. There's been three separate franchise outings for the character so far, so who's your favourite Peter Parker Spider-Man? I'd have to be Toby Maguire. For both, Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Do you not think he resembles a crying duck? <laughs> <laughs> I've not really thought of it being That's like all that. you'll see. Because uh, <laughs> it, it, oh, the... Jesus, um, I can see the, the hair from Spider-Man free <laughs> by the duck's face. <laughs> with, with the amazing Spider-Man films, all I can think of is Ghost Dad all the, free, all the bloody time after that second film. <laughs> Uh, but he was like the chief villain of the second one. <laughs> uh, chief villain of the first one, chief villain of the second one. He was, he, he was the side character. He was, I, he was like, I'm the guilty conscience. I've seen Amazing Spider-Man 2 more times than I care to admit to you. And uh, Gerstad <laughs> causes more strife than Electro does. <laughs> well, He's the villain. Electro was just a good boy who didn't know how to behave. Yes. He was... <laughs> Tom Holland is, is a great Peter Parker. He's the right age and all the rest. And um, he's he's the best one. But I I, I prefer Andrew Garfield to Tobey Maguire. <laughs> uh, that's probably incredibly controversial in circle. I get the Raimi trilogy is like incredibly important to the whole genre. And Spider-Man 2 is great. I have a massive, like, a good bad movie vibes of Spider-Man 3 whenever I watch it. <laughs> <laughs> and all the rest. But, uh, okay, we're a bit too cool and it, we're different, but that was the first time I felt I saw Spider-Man the way I liked Spider-Man on screen. He were quippy, he were more ag- agile and stuff. Part of that's effects and stuff, but more sleek and whatever. Because the Raimi ones, they're great, but they were very cu- cookie-cutter following off more influenced by the Donna Supermans than anything else. By Amazing Spider-Man, we'd had enough comic book films. We could just go in a slightly different direction. So it, it was just tempered with a bit more of a tone I liked. Obviously, it didn't work out that great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but and now we've got an even better Peter Parker. But I, I always I always struggled with Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man. See, I, f- I feel like a, a grumpy old man with what I'm about to say. But, <laughs> Shouting at the clouds. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Tom Holland. Um, I can see he's doing a good job. People love him. That's what we want. But I feel like there's the grumpy old man in me because I'm like, oh, that quirk's actually not not that good. You young kids and your references to films that I used to oh, enjoy that, as a child. That's my big critique. <laughs> I hate those quips so much. Yeah. And I'm just every time I'm like. Oh, I'm warming to him, I'm warming to him. Shut up, I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not necessarily the age thing, but the movies they refer to. Like, I, I've had my like, little brother quote the net of all films and go, no, that's an old movie, and that made me laugh. <laughs> but, but I don't think any... I think kids know the context of, like, Empire Strikes Back. I don't think they call them old. Yeah. Just, Do you know what I mean? Like, they, they call I, more recent movies old. I think it was but, just the Footloose thing that got me. Yeah. yeah it's but, just yeah. too much, is The it? thing, like... And as well, he's. I think he comes across at times as uh, too likable by the other characters. Like they, they warm to him quite easily sometimes on screen. I've not seen the two Spider-Man films individually. I'm talking about my own experiences, the Avengers films and Civil War. Okay. Um, so my point of reference is Skewered anyway. Uh, I should have mentioned that first, really. Should have <laughs> it's a good <laughs> with the, uh, the grumpy old man thing. 
And and like my my love of the Spider-Man thing is even among his own, he's a bit of an outcast because his quirks are annoying and put people off, you know, warming to him. They they develop a bond, but it's always still like the oh he's making jokes again, which yeah. then in itself was funny when they started making Deadpool and Spider-Man work together, and it was just kind of like who who's the more annoying one here? Because you know, yeah. So I really enjoyed Garfield because I really got that feeling of like him actually annoying everyone, him yeah. him thinking he's charming. And he's not quite yeah, that charming. Yeah, an annoying little... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I find that more relatable as a, as a you know, rubbish human being to see a character who is... <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I agree on Garfield. Garfield was a great Spidey. He gave the quips while doing the thwips. Um, but I found him too cool as yeah, Parker. Yeah, he, he didn't feel like the insecure nerd that um, Peter Parker's supposed to be. Went from more of an outcast so he, thing. Didn't yeah, he, he was, yeah, he was a bit like of a like, uh, ooh, you're a bit of like a ooh, loner on the outside, but oh, aren't you cool? Yeah. See, I'd, I'd say that's sort of more of a development of the outcasts because um, that's how it's it started to be at some point along the line with things like Daria and whatnot, where the outcast was cool, but no one obviously thought they were. So it, I thought it sort of worked on that in that regard because it was like, the new style of not, you know, the, the awkwardness is covered by um, a false self-confidence, uh, which is, I'll say, a very, more, like, it's a more recent thing because I've known quite a few people at this point who behave like that. They're jittery messes, but they've got their too, too cool persona on. <laughs> and it, I feel like it was more, yeah. It goes full circle there, doesn't it? Because, like, by playing for the outcast to the average consumer, if he plays cool to us, then we think it's cool. Um. And then that becomes cool because we, the geeks are in heaven in the earth. So Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man is cool and he shouldn't be cool. Oh, but gosh, but they probably like... were going for he's not cool. But like, it becomes a mess. I'm so feel... getting back to Hugh Grant cool. Aren't <laughs> <laughs> for Tom Holland, the jittering mess is now. Oh. I, feel, I feel Tom Holland's a great Parker and a decent Spidey. Yeah, I, um, I feel he, he gets the Peter Parker character spot on for what I love of the character from the comics at that age, not yeah. like the older one, which apparently, according to the comics, is only in his late 20s. Well, they keep doing that with comics. <laughs> we've, I've heard recently that we've moved out of the Vietnam uh, War for yeah. some backstories in order to age them accordingly. That's why we it. need more wars to take place, yeah. because uh, these characters need to be updated. For... <laughs> America <laughs> is not trying to start fights hard enough. <laughs> We've got to think about the next 40 years of coming. Maguire was fantastic at the time, and yeah, yeah. we didn't have anything to draw, like, to really compare him to. I think that overall he ends up being the weakest. However, he does star in the best Spider-Man film, which Spider-Man moves 3. nicely onto, yeah, <laughs> question five, Into which the is Spider-Man. ranking the Spider-Man, Spider-Man movies in order of preference and discuss the reasoning for the choices. I mean, for me, Spider-Man 2 is still the pinnacle of a Spider-Man film. It hits the ground running. It's got a great villain played by a great actor. I mean, Doc Ock on screen is just amazing to watch. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. And it's like a villain that you actually... This is one thing that Raimi was good at. He made villains that you actually kind of like cared for to some degree. Yeah. And you got some understanding. Even like his use of Green Goblin in the first film. You can see how his drive for power was corrupted and exaggerated when the accident took place. Mm. So you don't necessarily hate him as a character. You sympathise with where he was put, and then you hate him at the end. But, um, you know, Spider-Man 2 is just such an immensely rewatchable film. There's Every moment in that film hits the beats. Homecoming is my second. I think it was a great reintroduction to a character without having to um, tell us that Uncle Ben's died again. Amazing Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. The Amazing Spider-Man, for me, is a better film than Raimi's first film. I think it's a better origin story. It's only let down by the fact that it's telling exactly the same story, just with a different villain character. The lizard is the Green Goblin. Then Raimi's Spider-Man. Then Far From Home. Then Amazing 2, which, uh, yeah, let's not dwell no, too much. I'm not having this. And then Spider-Man 3. No. The, um, starts, off, <laughs> starts off really well. Starts off well with the Sandman. But then you can see the point at which Raimi lost his old motivation because he was forced to use a character that he's never liked as soon as the black costume starts coming into it, the film falls apart. The question for me is, what do you prefer? Do you prefer emo jazz or do you prefer weird, paranoid dubstep? And for me, it will always be emo jazz. <laughs> <laughs> dubstep for the win. <laughs> I think that's a fairly... I, I never know what to do with Homecoming because I, I love it for its, like, John Hughes-isms and this, like, fresh, young... High school take a Spider-Man, like, who 
you shouldn't have took this long for that. And then like, <laughs> and it hits so many notes so well. And and I know it's to differentiate it from two previous whole franchises worth of material, but it's just a bit too MCU and just a more, more so on the technology side. My issue with Homecoming, it's more an Iron Man film than a Spider-Man film. I think it's a bit of a misnomer. It's because it's it's. I think there's enough Iron Man in as a sort of like ambassador to the MCU to like differentiate from the other films. But when he's not there, you're doing nothing but dealing with the suit he's made, and that's why it feels like he takes over the film. I think the the Iron Man element soiled Far From Home a lot more. That he just basically became Junior Iron Man. Yeah, I, I, I can't. I'd like to. Say I've not seen it, but I've heard, and it's kind of frustrating because. Spider-Man is one of the like legendary IPs of the world. You know, it's up there oh, yeah. alongside Batman and Superman. Well, slightly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm not ranking them. I'm not. I'm just I'm being, being a DC DC fanboy. But um, so in its own, it can stand up. So it only needs for, for small references. You know, he, he was introduced in Civil War. You can't get much more. He's in the MCU than that. So the fact that they relied so heavily, from what I've heard, on playing off of. You know, the the um, elements of the Iron Man and Tony Stark in the second one and the first one being like a major part feels unnecessary because he, you know, he's his own character, he's his own IP. He's been able to stand alone so many times. The relationship they play is fine, especially in Homecoming. It, it, like I say, it's just a weird hangover of whenever Tony Stark comes in, it feels like we're dealing with whatever the technology given or taken or whatever, and then till he comes back and it's like, I just want a Spider-Man film. And Far From Home, I had a very similar impression with where, like, I just want to see him swinging about New York. I don't need all these bells and whistles and, like, a city of the scene. <laughs> so, and it makes it cool, differentiates it. Like, not a bad idea in a screen, screenwriting stage, but the last post credit sequence, like, when he's swinging about New York, by the end, you go, oh, yeah, that's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, the next question was written before all the current breakup. I just want to quickly say, yes? we've not mentioned it there. And it was a top list, but in Into the Spider-Verse, even though it's not live action, oh, no. oh, no. yeah, it's, yeah. it's hands it's, um, down my favourite. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's yeah. definitely fair to throw in there. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And um, I know that you mentioned one way that Sony could get out of this whole mess with Marvel on the main podcast a few weeks ago. Yeah. Was you suggested that um, they do a live action Spider-Verse and bring Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield along as alternate Spider-Mans. That gets all the audience on board anyway to ignore everything else that's going on mm. and they will then embrace a new Spider-Man which I then said like the other advantage is that you could get deposited in an alternate universe yeah. at the end of it you get Miles Morales in you get Franchise Emma Stone rebooted. back as a Spider-Woman mind blown hey, Jason's mind has just been blown honestly you I, can I, take I just, I, I just why, why... Why, why is anyone worried? We've just, like, this is what I mean. We've everyone, just solved Sony's Marvel problem. <laughs> everyone would just cream and just leave it, wouldn't they? Okay, well, yeah, so Into the Spider-Verse, definitely um, deserving of a place within there. I, th- I think it, I think all of us will agree that it's um, high up in the rankings there. Before or after Spider-Man 2? Oh, probably. I'd, I'd go before. So I enjoyed the film a lot more, and it is just made for fun. Yeah, I'd go after Spider Man Two, but below Spider Man Three. See, I, for me, it's it, I don't I don't hear anything wrong with what Scott has just said. He's just got straight stuff. Uh, yeah, for me, it's definitely like the top one because I just felt so engrossed. I had fun. I got so many different, you know, Spider Man Two, at least two different versions of Peter Parker, which in itself was wonderful. And after watching uh, Venom, we stayed and watched the post uh, post credit preview and I didn't like the preview so I went in expecting oh this is gonna you know I'm not gonna enjoy it and I had the best time and any time a film does that as you know I'm, I'm when it, when, when it far surpasses it. your yeah. expectations you have that feeling and like even if it's not by any stretch the best of people you know people puts it up there but it's not you know for me it will be because of that it's the clever details that they put into there such as like the um that Miles is portrayed on 12 frames per second towards the start of the film so he's got very jerky as he's learning his abilities and then mm. towards the end of the film all the all the like Gwen and everyone else are 24 frames per second so they're fluid in their motions but then as he gets better his frames per second increase That's a and it's a yeah. great yeah. little like filmmaking technique that you don't realise until you find out that information next time you watch it you go oh yeah I can see this now brilliant absolutely brilliant creative decisions well it's just well written and it's like a pop art masterpiece, so interesting visually, isn't it? Almost too yeah, interesting, yeah. where you feel like, well, I'm 
tripping out. <laughs> so question six was written not only before the Sony Marvel breakup, but also before Venom came out. So just to tell you what the original question was, it was like they're expanding out the range of characters from the comics, the first of which is the imminent Venom film. Are you excited for any proposed outings planned or should they stick to working with Disney? Well, How did you feel about Venom? I'm not going to lie. It's terrible, but I had <laughs> so much fun that I can't hate it. And I look forward to more. I, yeah, I agree with that. It, it, yeah, it's got it's got just enough to make you half hopeful with the right direction. You might get an all right sequel. And Andy Serkis is uh, that's why I mean, yeah. developing the sequel. Yeah, that gives me hope because on that first Venom film, I got as far as the lobster tank, <laughs> and that was the point at which I disassociated myself from that film completely. That was like, no, no, hate this scene, hate everything that's going on here. This is garbage, and the rest of the film just didn't get much better. Yeah, I, I love Tom Hardy. So when it when it feels like you're still not enjoying it, you're like, well, oh, he's pushing against a lot, isn't he? That lobster <laughs> tank thing apparently was his, his own idea. Oh, that's, that's oh, the point. Oh, that. That's the point at which a director <laughs> should have turned around and gone, "No, do the role that I've given you. You're not climbing in the lobster tank." I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm against you there. I think I bet when. Tom Hardy said it. It's just like, no, let's see this. Let's see, let's see a man jumping a lobster tank. Why not? I think at that point, he's just counting money and not paying attention to what's going on. I mean, on, on, the, on the horizon, we've got films such as Morbius, yeah. Black Cat, Silver yeah. Sable. I'd like to see these characters done well, but like after Venom, I'm not hopeful. So all I can hope is that like Venom, even though I'm like, this is awful. Why have they done this? This, uh, I'm having fun. Because I'm a bad person, apparently. It, it just takes the right idea and tone, doesn't it? But I just think these a lot of these characters don't even support their own comic books. Why would they support their own film? Yeah. Without being too brutal about it, like as far as I'm aware, is he a Black Cat comic book? I think there is at the moment, but it's always limited series. As they only ever run to like 12 issues and then like it becomes volume three and then volume four and... And I know there's different wrinkles, and I'll sound horribly dismissive of the character who's probably beloved, but she's just a Catwoman clone, isn't she? Uh, yeah. 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 So well, do well, we need that? At this point, you can't, you're not allowed to just save a clone word around a Marvel character. Oh, yeah, not with Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She, she has super strength. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's wrinkles. They, they've like, they, they did, like, it must have been in the 80s or early 90s, I think it was the late 80s, that they obviously realised that they were just blatantly just yeah. doing Catwoman. So she got her bad luck powers. Okay. Because yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. uh, Kingpin had been developing some like experiments going on, and she got embroiled in them and given these abilities that meant that she could make everyone else around her suffer from bad luck. Because which worked well. Well, like Spider, Spider at the time was budding up with her a lot. Yeah. But then everything started to go wrong for him as a backlash. Oh, interesting. Nice. Well, in the in the nineties uh, animated series, wasn't it like some version of Captain America's Super Soldier yeah. Serum or something? It's funny how they reinvent her. But like. I imagine that that'd be a great story to tell with Spider Man because it's very much about their relationship at a time, and she's on that Catwoman end of where she falling here, but on her own. Like, what, what story are you telling me? Well, what, like... I, what I've enjoyed about general, like some of the characters in comic book movies, is unless they're a villain and they're subjected to the back because you know they're in one with a bunch of big names where people are more interested in heroes. You occasionally get a character developed in a way that they're not in the comics. So when you get yeah. a spotlight like that on them, I just kind of hope that someone's going to take them, put their own twist on them, and make them interesting and relevant. So that maybe you know, I'd love the I'd love the idea of like a Spider First movie where it explores like the interpersonal relationships of all these villains, like your hammerheads and stuff. Obviously, recruit people like Rhino and Scorpion and all. Of them. You could do a really interesting thing in a spiderless Spider Verse uh, world. But then who's your protagonist? It's not obvious, is it? <laughs> <laughs> the sad thing is, because like pretty much because Sony only had, really had the license to Spider Man and the linked characters to that, it basically means they've only really got the one hero, which yeah. is Spider Man. Everyone else is either an anti-hero, Venom, Mobius, or a complete villain. And it's hard to make an interesting film about a villain. And I don't Unless know. You full, like... I don't know if like because you know. The Spider-Man brand has been reinvigorated, like via the association with like the MCU, to give it a more fun vibrancy. But it's hard to see how the rest of the characters will fit within that vibrancy. When they were doing, when they were uh, planning a Sinister Six film, was that meant to be very Suicide Squad? What was yeah. going to be the big threat? No idea. 
because this is the thing you could even go the oh villains have to do good route but then who's the big spider-man bad that would facilitate the need to have six badass spider crushing prob- villains probably a symbiote on another spider-man villain because that's the way they go when they try and up the Wanna snakes, be something was it yeah. Carnage Oak or something in the Spider-Man video game? Yeah. Wouldn't they create just something like a rival organization like Kingpin or use Vulture and his corporations? And so it all becomes the of that. it all comes mm. very murky though, doesn't it? Yeah. It's it's they're not obvious stories to tell that are crying to be told unless someone can come up with something. But mm. one thing that happened over the course of this conversation, I don't understand why in my head is when you said it's hard to make a good film about villains. I start I I thought of Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Then decided for some reason that I want to see um, Carnage, as played by uh, Woody Harrelson, um, <laughs> doing a Henry Henry portrait of a serial killer style film with a symbiote suit, and I don't know why. That'd be cool. I don't know if it'd bring in the money. Uh, definitely. <laughs> there, there would be no money. There. I'd watch it. So let's flip over to the other side of it and the Disney MCU. There's been over ten years of films. Have we had enough? Yes. Sure, surely they scraped the bottom of the <laughs> barrel now. With the MCU, they should have finished it after. Avengers Endgame. They shouldn't... Uh, self-like well, so far, they, so far, they have finished it at the end of Endgame. <laughs> oh, they're planning more phases and stuff like that, but I, I feel like Endgame would have been a decent enough way to just end it off. Yeah, I forgot why I'm really trying to thought was then. Um, should have ended it. Yeah, it, it was sort of like the perfect ending way. It resolved the main issues and everything like that. The world's gone through enough turmoil and everything that you can't really go as big in the next phases without probably ruining more of what you've actually already created in the past. So it would have been just a great point. to. I, th- I think that's why it's kind of nice that the next lot of films are the more low-key radar yeah. ones. I mean, you know, you've got... Um, the martial artist one. Oh, yeah. Where are you going? Yeah, Sha- Shang-Chi. Yeah. Um, Master quite, of Martial quite Arts. Quite weird. Uh, Ooh, yeah, it, and they're going... Like, I, I think the right to just go, okay, we're going to lower the expectations again. We're going to just go down to like these little lesser-known characters, introduce a whole load of new people before they'll start to build something. Where can they go after Endgame? I think they've got to bring the Fantastic Four into it. And then they've got to bring like Galactus and Alias and go cosmic and negative zone kind of aspects. From what I've heard, well, seen on sort of like thing with WandaVision and stuff like that, I'm wondering whether there'll be turning Wander into the major villain for the next phase. Ooh, do a House of M kind of thing. It's a a chief theory. And the reason I like that is because I I think whether they like to admit it or not, some sort of quasi-reboot needs to happen. In, if not this phase, the next phase. Because, yeah, you can introduce Fantastic Four. I'd, I'd much like them to be firmly and oldly established rather than just chucked in and where they've been. It, but it feels wrong for them to be new. That's what I mean. It'll feel weird. But you can get around that with various explanations. They were trapped in negative zone, all sorts of stuff. But the big one for me is you can't just suddenly have mutants appearing left, right and centre. Yeah. They have to be more inbuilt into the world. Like Magneto's motivations will not make sense if he became a mutant last year. Yeah. Then there's the whole, how do you hide this whole fact? That How's you know, Xavier gathered these students <laughs> in the last five years of the snap? Or what, whatever you're going to headcanon it. The, 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 <laughs> the way you could probably get around that is the whole fact that, you know... Xavier's done something with people's memories and stuff yeah, but, like that. But that is just a I, I, cheap way to get out of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then and then when you're supposed to have an organization in the past like Shield. But I think that, the best way, have like almost a new snap thing with Wanda and do yeah, the yeah. reverse out Back to Fantastic Four, slowly introducing those characters, introduce Doom, go for God Emperor Doom and do Secret Wars. Ooh. Use like and not the original Secret Wars where it was like Battle World, but the more recent Secret Wars where it was all the alternate realities were collided, um, and that's how that. you can bring all the different aspects together. And because the result of that in the comics was that when it went back to just the one Earth, there was elements from all the different alternate universes on that Earth. So like Miles Morales yeah. is in the same universe as the standard Peter Parker. Who's also like um, you've got Spider Man twenty ninety nine is now firmly within that unit. Everything was folded into one. It was basically Marvel's version of Crisis. Yeah, yeah. Um, and but, admittedly, they've now created another multiverse afterwards. So they've done exactly what DC did with Crisis. Well, well, we're getting rid of the multiverse. Well, it's just, it's but now house, we're just putting them there and calling them elsewhere. It's comic book <laughs> continuity housekeeping, isn't it? That's why all these things were. But uh, I think they're, they're going to have to do that because it's been an amazing experiment and they've done amazing to get this far and they've got a great bookend ending here and they've probably got a great plan for the next phase or two. 
And at some point, it's going to become so convoluted, messy, and difficult. And frankly, in about five, ten years' time, you're going to want another Iron Man. Which, fil- <laughs> which films of the MCU to date are the defining moments? Which ones are the high points? Which ones do you find yourself returning to more and more? I haven't even watched any more than once. <laughs> it, it Aside from Jason. <laughs> it depends, because it's not one of my... It's not in my top five or anything, but I think that you have to see the Avengers as a, a high point moment of we turned a corner there, that was the grand experiment proving it could work, sort of... Yeah. Yeah. Insta money. And it and it was insanely fun, especially at the time. I'd, admittedly, I don't revisit it as much as I imagined I would at the time. Well, on my first viewing of it, I really enjoyed it and stuff. But I I prefer the sort of superhero movies where the villain is hard as nails, and you know you have the one on one, or you have the counterparts. So you have someone who's like a shadow of a protagonist. So yeah. for me, like Rises, Avengers, and uh, Age of Ultron and stuff, and yeah. even Infinity War to a degree and Endgame, and that, the one where you have lots of Enemy, so you can showcase all of the heroes doing stuff. Yeah, the odd those are the ones I enjoy less and yeah. would watch less if I'd watched any of them more than one. <laughs> it's yeah, I think Iron Man. It just still holds really fresh. I, yeah. The only one I'd probably rewatch over again would be The Incredible Hulk. Ooh, oh, okay. interesting wow, choice. Yeah. Um, I, I just loved that actually portrayal of Hulk, and you know, an actual Hulk film where we got to see a great villain in abomination so like somebody who rivaled hulk's brute strength and well, did you not like him shouting at an abstract bubble in angley's um the angry <laughs> the, the angry one was silly with the whole fact that it's like the angrier he gets the bigger he gets so you get it to the point where it's like yeah i can't even stand on the earth like, I'm, yeah. just, um, I'm just angry abomination play by tim roth Going back Full circle to the last <laughs> episode there, guys. <laughs> we told you we'd remember what film he was also in, um, for those who listened to the last bonus episode. Oh, it was good film, though. It depends <laughs> if you qualify that as a good film. I've got some time for Incredible. I think it's underrated. I, it I'd is. really love to have World War Hulk and stuff like that to have yeah. actually been introduced into the MCU. But I'd love Planet Hulk, followed yeah. by World War Hulk. It, well, it's, the the fact that, that though, they didn't. did it with Ragnarok, it's just that it, Ragnarok did it wrong, in my opinion, but... The thing is, I, I, enjoyed, love, I, love I enjoyed the film, but yeah. I would have preferred a better Planet Hulk. I know there's been rumblings that um, you know the direction for the Hulk as a character going forward is going to be the branching off the personalities and creating the maestro. Oh, okay. And then he becomes a villain, like because it's his brain. Yeah. But with the aggression within there, that could be interesting to see if it pans out like that, and that could lead towards like a Planet Hulk. World War Hulk. I mean, let's be honest, World War Hulk is just Hulk really, really annoyed that he was just chucked into space, gets back to Earth and beats everyone up. Yeah. What a great miniseries that, that was. That's, that's <laughs> all I wanted from He you. had a family. That family died <laughs> no, because that, of the assholes. I, I, it was right. just an excuse to watch Hulk beating up yeah. all of your favourite heroes. <laughs> it was very cathartic. <laughs> I know that was a great arc for him where it's like southern unrest, but it with the planet Hulk, he, essentially yeah, yeah. just yeah. being gladiator with the Hulk in, like, sold. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, my my, yeah, my favourite moment is discovering the Hulk could be hurt in that place and you're just like, <gasps> suddenly... Yeah. But, but Guardians has to be one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, yeah. I've got Guardians on my list because it was a perfect example. You always get people saying, like, you know, DC with Justice League, uh, you can't just introduce loads of characters in one go and, like, expect people to like them. No, no, the instant argument towards that is Guardians of the Galaxy because no, no one, one really knew any of those characters. No. But by the end of it, you loved each and every one of those characters. If it's handled well, you can do a team-based thing as the first outing I, I for feel, the franchise, you don't need to do individual character stories before you get to that. See, what I feel bad about is just because of the... I feel that there's a lot because of the different tones. Like, DC, very serious at first, and then they tried to throw some comedy in, but because of a weird mix of serious and comedy, it didn't quite work, whereas the MCU has been quite comedic from the start. And so Guardians is a lot warmer. But Guardians aside, prefer. though, it's weirdly their more serious efforts. Obviously, they still have quips and jokes. That I gravitate to the most: Winter Soldier, Winter Soldier. Civil War, Infinity yeah. War, and Win- games a lot like Winter so. Soldier was the one which made the MCU feel real. Yeah, exactly. It's, Grounded. It, it, it just suddenly like brought it back down to earth. It, yeah. was, it was not like big like explosions and cosmic entities and things like that. It was just like okay, you still got superpowers in there, but you felt that you could believe mm. in that aspect of it. It was a great little like espionage story as Absolutely, well. Absolutely, yeah. See, one of the big moments for me in the MCU isn't actually like a massive film, but it was um, 
Ant-Man because it showed that you could take uh, supers, you can take the topic of supers, the, the concept and stuff, and you can put it in a completely different kind of film yeah, and still make it work, yeah. sit comfortably within the universe and yeah, just be quite different. And that's what I liked because it showed that it wasn't just a one-trick pony, which we got at one point when people were getting a bit fatigued and tired, which was surprisingly early on when you think back. Well, I've I've heard this since like two thousand and five. Like it's a superior fatigue, and like we're, <laughs> we're fifteen years down. Like, I, I for me, as long as it's like, as long as they're not all cookie cutter, and you do that by exploring different tones, genres, different interpretations of character. There's as many ways to do these films as there is to do films. So why would are we getting fatigued of films? Look, is the question I hear when that comes in. Look at Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, prime example. Is that the same as? Iron Man. When they no. said they were making a third Thor film, let's be honest, most of us were like, eh. yeah. do we need it though? But then Thor Ragnarok just completely changed the tone of that franchise yeah. and did something more fun yeah. with it. And it was like, well, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm back. I'm back yeah. on this and I, I want to see more of this. You're like, a, you're like a modern, cool, and funny Flash Gun. I think you're like, what's yeah, yeah. this? I think as long as the MCU occasionally does those little risky ventures and yeah. let, let's, you know, with Guardians of the Galaxy, they gave James Gunn a whole load of money yeah. and said, make a film. And he was like, well, what do you want me to do? It was like, make a film. We're not going to tell you what to do. You've got your own characters. You're completely separate from the MCU at the moment. Play with it. And, like, and he'd come from like small budget background. So to give a director from that kind of background such a huge amount of money and have faith in him, yeah. I think that's where the MCU kind of excels, yeah. is that they've got the confidence and the strength in the directors. As long as they don't keep, they keep that whole idea of like, get someone who doesn't seem right for it, throw them some money and see what they deliver. I'm intrigued. They've had missteps with that. Oh, yes. Well, that's the next point. Uh, where did they go wrong? Well... <laughs> Well, um, to go back to the superhero fatigue where we're talking about it, when that sort of started, if you remember, it wasn't around... Everyone was really happy with them, and then suddenly we started to get issues with things like Iron Man 2 and, and Thor 2 and stuff. That's when people were like, oh, so it can't last, the bubble can't last. And I think when... The perfect example of that is when you're trying to do like a copy-paste or just do a very formulaic film like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That's where the issue is. If we go back to uh, Fox, you know, you can see it with X-Men 3 where that went very different, very wrong. So the only times they really do go super wrong is when they just, they don't experiment too much. Stick they, to formula. Yeah. I mean, I enjoy Doctor Strange. Yeah. But it is just Iron Man with a different costume. With a kaleidoscope. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that, that's a prime example of how yeah. it's, they've just stuck to that formula. Ant-Man almost went that down that route, but then became more of a heist film. Yeah. And managed just... to get itself out of that rut by becoming a fun heist movie instead. Well, that's it, isn't it? It's like it's it's a genre insofar as you can link them by virtue of being involving superheroes. But as long as they don't feel like you're watching the same genre over and over again in cookie cutter form, which is why I heard superhero fatigue in 2004 before Batman Begins hit. Yeah. I heard it in 2007 before The Dark Knight hit. Yeah. I heard it in 2011 when Green Lantern came out. I heard it I, I, every time. There's a dud or one that feels derivative. Yeah. Everyone's chucked that question, and then a film comes when, that says, no, look, new direction, and then everyone comes back and loses their minds. And I think one of the things is, because film is such a relatively new thing compared to other arts, it's very strange because you see clear trends in audience and audience interaction, so that normally a genre only excels for a particular length of time, dies off for a bit, and then can be brought back. Some of them don't come back, but a lot of them you know, do. And I think one of the things that's really confusing a lot of reviewers, critics, and just people in general is superheroes hasn't really had that since it, you know, established and sort of kept pushing and pushing. And what they don't appreciate is it in whatever media form we've taken it, we, we've lived with these characters for some 80 years now. Yeah. It's not a new phenomenon for a lot of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like they seem to think it is. But um, missteps, um, for two, the dark world is what I now put next to missteps in a dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> Iron Man 3 is there as well. Um, oh, no. It's got elements I like. I- I'll, I'll disagree. I mean, the twist. It, I agree. I think. I think it was. It was short term. Short term pop with long term dire effects. For me, I, I'm a huge fan of Shane Black. Yeah, I love his films, except for <clears throat> the Predator. 
Uh, <laughs> however, however, there were studio That's interference comedy. on that, which meddled behind his back and yeah. edited out of his hands, so I don't blame him for it. The end mess is not his mess. Iron Man 3 was a Shane Black superhero film yeah, from start like... to finish. I've got a lot of love for that film because of it. I love that bizarre twist. I love the pl- fact that he pulled the rug out from under people, like on the whole Mandarin thing. And I now love the fact that the Mandarin proper is coming into the MCU yeah. in the next wave. What, it weren't even that as much as Killian being a, a fire morphy monster shouting, <laughs> I'm the Mandarin! And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so that's the bit that's the bit that you've gone bright orange like a mandarin mate, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but again that, that's very much in the two thirds rule of it it's probably the, one of the best Iron Man films and then you feel a bit weird afterwards but it's it, better than Iron Man 2 isn't it I've, yes my only James that, doesn't look convinced it, it's probably on par with Iron Man 2 because <laughs> okay. there are bits that I enjoyed a lot of for Iron Man 2 but I know Iron Man 2 is hey, a great film what is the worst Marvel film the worst Marvel film MCU oh Civil War what? is towards there. Who invited him? <laughs> As I said earlier, we were allowed different opinions and we could like different things. I did, not, I, I did not expect that one. If you'd yeah. have given me 15 guesses, I don't think I'd have gone there. I lived with him, so I knew this was coming. <laughs> Go on. Civil War, it was just a case of... It, it was a rehash of some of the other films that they'd actually started doing. It's like, with, like we were saying earlier, with uh, the fall of the same sort of like pattern with the films. Avengers went into Winter Soldier, which they were doing well, but then came along Age of Ultron, Age of Ultron. and Civil War, which was just kind of like the following the same film. I felt like we got the same film over and over again, and I got so bored with that. And then with Civil War, you had this whole, right, there's a schism between them. Captain America and Iron Man are no longer talking to each other. They hate each other, yada, yada, yada. And then at the end of the film, oh, here's my phone just in case. <laughs> I, I know what you mean, because like even during the um, airport scene, and it's one of like the greatest sequences no, no, in that, MCU. It, it's but a great like, sequence. It's a great fight. No, but, but even in that, like Widow and Hawkeye exchange some sort of back and forth, like we're still friends, right? And then you're like, well, why am I watching your fight then? <laughs> it just seems I agree. There is pointless. a Yeah, there like, is a degree of that in there. For me... For that's why the ending's so good. Uh, just off of the Civil War thing, a misstep, you know, I want to mention is that Tony Stark's development from the end of Iron Man 3 to uh, past Civil War, kind of, I fell out with him in regards to watching him because, of, you know, Iron Man 3 comes to, you know, these conclusions and that. And mm. then, you know, because he's he can't handle the, the alien threat, the fact that, like, he doesn't just have to look at... the what planet is only has to look, you know, to the stars and it gets to him and he gets, you know, a form of PTSD and stuff. And then by the time Age of Ultron's around, any lessons he learned is kind of dropped for the entertainment value and the, the, thus the creation but of Ultron. Create, yeah. And then in Civil War, this guy who we've led to know is a bit arrogant, but he he's smart, you know, he's calculating, he can he makes mistakes and that. We throw him we see him throw the biggest paddy of all time with information he's partly partial to and he just loses it and like it's the first time he thought of consequence, but he, he does stuff anyway which isn't like clever and you're like, No, this goes against what you're doing here, but all right, and then and then the whole Oh, he killed my parents. Oh, I'm fuming. I'm gonna start an actual dangerous fight to the death type scenario because I'm not just gonna talk because I'm overruled by emotion, which partly fits his character, but then partly didn't because you know he's been led to be super smart. And then I look back at those missteps and get more annoyed when we get to the Tony Stark later on, who like you know recognizes certain you know things. He'll do the right thing even if he doesn't want to. He'll be the same arrogant kind of guy. And he's smart enough to figure out a type of science that isn't necessarily his field, you know, in, in Endgame. He just, you know, so he's, he's so, yeah, he's portrayed as so intelligent, which then makes some of his earlier decisions. I find, I find bigger that some of their biggest missteps are usually from, like, retroactive continuity, which naturally happens in a lot of yeah, these. Yeah. So, like, they could have really led into him feeling so strongly about registration in Civil War, but it did feel like, yeah. like the Hulk Black Widow romance felt like, oh, that's just a theme for this I, film. I is really it? did not like uh, it. Yeah, it could have been led in in any way, couldn't it? <laughs> and then, yeah. like, the spot, I, I don't know why I put this as a big watershed moment for it, but the beginning of Spider-Man Homecoming, where it just says, like, 
eight years later after the Avengers, and you go, what? Why? <laughs> so you can brag about a boy in Iron Man 2 being Spider-Man? Rubbish. <laughs> Especially seeing the timeline of the Spider-Man films don't actually match up to the timeline of the MCU, and yeah. it's a huge, like... Um, but yeah, yeah uh, you've you've convinced me. Uh, Civil War's garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite what I was saying. <laughs> um, so, as we move on to the next wave of the MCU, they're still exploring characters well known or obs- obscure in their films. Are there any characters from the comics that haven't made their outing onto the screen yet that you want to see? It's tough because I, I'd have had a few names and then I feel like every other day Kevin Feige announces they're on Disney+. <laughs> the, t- yeah. <laughs> the TV series has, has given them a chance to experiment with some like really interesting characters out there. Yeah, because my default answer has always been Moon Knight and now I don't even have that yeah, anymore. Moon Knight's yeah, Moon Knight's And now I've got to think of another obscure you've, character. You've just got to wait for Stiltman. So, I, I said Stiltman. <laughs> <laughs> it's about time we saw Stiltman on screen him and uh, the fabulous Frogman <laughs> you for crying out loud we even got Howard the Duck briefly at one point it's just it's not going to be anyone left by the end of well, the I, uh, he's one of my favourite Marvel characters and we kind of got it and didn't get it but now it's in this weird limbo but I, I love Daredevil always have because I just find him really thematically strong obviously he's yeah. Marvel's Batman I'm going to gravitate to him yeah. but like I've always loved him, and they did the Netflix show, really enjoyed it, and it was tangentially connected. But I'd, I'd love to legit see him as a legit figure in the universe in some degree, whether that's Charlie Cox or someone else, or this incarnation or a different... To see him just meet Spider-Man, I was, oh, well, that's a different debate now. But, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they're, they're in the universe, but they're not. On, I feel like we a lot of their TV ventures, it's that case of, yeah, Colson's out there, but we'll never talk about him. And like, I, I, with the Disney Plus, I'm really looking forward to it actually being in continuity and affect the films and being a thing to explore. They've already announced two of like the characters that I wanted to see come to the big screen: um, Shang Chi, uh, Master of Kung Fu, She Hulk. I think's a great shout. Yeah, that's a great yeah. shout. Yeah, Ms. Marvel for me. I I spoke about this about a year or so ago, because when they announced Captain Marvel, I was like, oh, it'd be interesting if like, they used, the, on the back of Captain Marvel, introduced Ms. Marvel, because she was a huge fan of Captain Marvel. But So when she gets powers, she models herself on Captain Marvel. Yeah. And she is, but like, I always said that like, if they didn't have the Spider-Man in the MCU, they needed a Spider-Man-esque kind of personality to balance things out. And she's got that personality for the modern era. She's that awkward teenager mm. trying to do her studies, trying to learn to live with powers and do the right thing and make mistakes. I cannot wait to see in this Marvel series. Can't wait to see the She-Hulk series. I'm hoping they go down the um, lawyer, lawyer yeah, approach. Yeah, you could. Yeah, it could be really um, cool. like an Ali McBeal with punches. <laughs> that, that's one thing. When they, when they revamped the comic series to focus on her being, well, basically a lawyer for um, the criminally prosecuted. So she was defending the people who she was taking down. And it was it added great humour, but also yeah. like some great storylines came from that. Um, conflicts of interest and things like that. Again, I just now really want a She-Hulk theme Phoenix Wright style game. Instead <laughs> <laughs> <This, laughs> of objection, you just punch the floor. I, and just... I'd like to see um, a skew towards some of the obscure and zany kind of characters. I mean, we've already had Howard the Duck briefly turn up. I want to see more of Howard on the screen properly. <laughs> Squirrel um, Girl. Squirrel Girl yeah. and Gwenpool. Ooh, yeah. uh, two that I'd love to see them play with. And I don't think they'll fit nicely into the films, but I think now that they've got the Disney Plus TV franchises to work with, they could really have fun with that and introduce the characters there where you they can be set within the same universe but not have that lasting impact that has to cross over. It's so tough because every time I've got an answer for this, I feel like they reveal something like, oh, I just said Blade, he revealed it, I just yep. said Shield, they revealed it, Moon Knight, which is why I said Daredevil. But the one character, it's not to a series onto himself, but the one character, well, that's the moment you can completely MCU, switch it off tomorrow, I'm happy, like it's over, I'll... Bodoc. <laughs> That's when, like, oh, they can do anything. Brilliant. <laughs> that is something. I'm Why hasn't it happened? Any lesser known characters? Don't really think of anymore else, uh, other than so, like the alternate Deadpool's that they did for the spin-offs <laughs> on the comics. Yeah. with Kidpool and what have you. Oh, what if is touch? Is it touch Marvel Zombies or not? And, um, one of the what? If, one of the one I animated episodes yeah. apparently is going to um, delve into the Marvel I, Zombies I wanted, aspect. I wanted Zombie Spider Man because he's such an incredible character when you look at the whole thing. But you know, Gosh, I've, I've, I've just thought of where they could actually finish the MCU. 
finish it. Yeah. No, no, just this uh, sort of like that reality of the, the whole phase and stuff like that. Oh, oh you mean like a new and Yeah, so, so they then just jump into a different reality type thing. Deadpool kills the Marvel Universe. It'd be a good... It, you, you could do it as a film because it's, it's so meta. You could have either he steps it back into the universe and nothing, it's our universe and nothing's changed, or it's just a story he's telling himself out of boredom or something. You could do that as a film without having it impact the continuity. But the, I think the obvious ones are we want to see Fantastic Four and X Men to kind yeah. of bring it full circle. It's kind of the big two, isn't it? Like, and that brings it nicely full circle. Um, if any screenwriters for Marvel have been listening to this podcast, bear in mind that all the ideas that we presented are our own. We have them recorded. If you try to steal them, we will sue. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd like to thank my guests today uh, for joining me for this uh, roundtable discussion. I say roundtable, it's more like an oval. Oval. <laughs> oval, t- oval, t- oval team discussion. I've been Andy. James. Jason. Scott. <laughs> and after that little role reversal uh, thank you for listening be sure to tune into our later podcasts thank you very much